My guest this week is Memphis author Ron Hall. Ron is a walking encyclopedia of Memphis music and has written three books about it. Playing for a Piece of the Door, the Memphis Garage Band Yearbook, and his most recent book is Memphis Rocks, A Concert History, 1955-1985. to This interview was recorded before that one was published. I'm Mitch McCracken, and this is a Memphis Music Interview. Some of the things that I think I remember, I'm not necessarily sure that I do. I could swear that I remember Jimi Hendrix opening for the Monkees. Oh, uh, he he uh, definitely opened for the Monkees, but not here. Okay, yeah, see, that's what I heard, and and but he only did like uh, six dates with him before he quit. And uh, but I saw Hendrix here, and I saw the monkeys here, and they meshed. Well, that's amazing. Uh, you know, when the Yardbirds played at Skateland, if I went by what I've been told, there was about ten groups that opened for them. Because uh, the Breakers are the only ones I know definitely that did. I mean, the Breakers, everybody has said. Because I I was up there, and I leaned in. I wouldn't have. I I couldn't get in the show. I was out in the car, and when I heard Don't Send Me No Flowers, I went to the door, acting like I was looking for somebody just so I could hear that song. I, I wanted to hear that song more than I wanted to hear the Yardbirds. Uh-huh. You know, when you're thinking back about something, it's and I've had so many people, oh my God, I've had people say that, girls say she saw Jimi Hendrix at the Shell. Uh-huh. Uh, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, you, yeah. try to, you try to be, you know, you don't want to say <laughs> say what you really want to say. Right. But you just, you just kind of let it go on by. I just let it go. You know, I just let them think that. And Did you know Leo Goff? Yeah, yeah, I know. In fact, that's a whole lot of people have said Leo Goff's band played at the Yardbird uh, show. Yeah. So I uh, contacted Leo, and Leo said it was a band he had then called the Boogie Children. Right. He said, and we had to leave. He goes, I had to leave and go play a different gig. He goes, I didn't play. He didn't play Clearpool. He just played Skateland. Right. So I'm thinking the Breakers and Leo and Leo's band played Skateland, and then the Breakers went on out to um, to Clearpool. And uh, because there's a whole story about Jeff Beck uh, either accidentally or, or purposely taking Tom Keckler's guitar, and uh, and then the next day blowing one of the Breakers' amps at uh, I guess it was at Sun or wherever they went the next day, and, and or, or later that evening, and, and recorded some stuff. And so the Breakers, I've never had any problem with with that because that was the story with them when I started the first book. I mean, it's in, in, in the first book. Uh-huh. It's, it's the second group. Uh, so I've got Leo down, Leo's band down for, for playing um, at Clearpool. I mean, at, at, at Skateland. Right. But as far as in Clearpool, I had a real convincing guy with the group uh, saying that the group played at, at Clearpool. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so right now, that's what I'm going with. And uh-huh. like somebody comes up with some something else, and uh, well, tell me something. You've collected music since you were a teenager, right? Albums. Oh yeah. And so, how did that work into the book? Well, uh, there's a lot of different things that, that went into that. Uh, not, not only did I, uh, I, I collected all kinds of stuff, but I really concentrated on on the Memphis bands. 
Okay. I mean, I love the the guillotines. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the escapades, the um, all of the the yo yo stuff. And you know, I, I tell people you could hear that on the radio. You could hear WMPS or some somebody like that or HBQ play a, a Tommy Burton accounts record. You could go to Pop Tunes and buy it. And then you could go to the Roaring Sixties that night and see the band. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, you could go to Skateland, you could go to the Roaring Sixties, you go to Clearpool, you could go to the Tonga Club and uh, see the Shouts. Um, you could see all these groups, and you could and you could buy their records. And uh, I tell my son and his friends that and they just because they've been in bands and they just can't believe that it was ever like that. I had other friends of mine that also collected. Memphis Records, uh-huh. and because uh, I've been to flea market at the uh, well, first at the um, fairgrounds, and now at the Agri Center for thirty-two years mm-hmm. selling records. So I started making a list. I started making like a discography of uh, how, many, how many records uh, the counts did, how many records these did. And then I called, got in touch with a couple of friends of mine that knew. They'd also collected, and I said, well, I got three. Well, they had two that I didn't have, so we added up like that. Mm-hmm. So then I, I called, I knew Greg Redding real good, so I called Greg and uh, was asking him, and he started telling these stories, and, and you know, about, oh, man, when we, when we played this, when we did this. And then I'd talk to other people, and they would tell me about, oh, my brother-in-law cut this record, and he did this. And I said, I told my wife, we were on our way to, to Florida. Uh-huh. And I said, you know, I think this is a book. I said, I think this would be something somebody would be interested in. So I list all these all these records and the, and the histories of the bands and, uh, and the cool jobs they played if they opened for somebody, like Rainy and the Radiance, you know, opening for Day Park 5. And she goes, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Fell back to sleep. <laughs> it all started from me being a collector. Mm-hmm. Of Memphis stuff and just, and well, the thing is, so many groups didn't record. See, the first book was just groups that cut at least 145. Mm-hmm. The second book, the, the yearbook, I did that because so many groups like that we went to, you know, like the Gypsies and the Strafers, and they didn't cut records, but they were so good and so popular and, uh, and, and just so. You know, I, I having a group with a drummer like Dickie Harris, and it was 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 cool. And I and I got great pictures from everybody. And actually, the the yearbook was just as much fun, if not more fun, than the first book. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go back for those who are not familiar with your books. The first one it was called "Playing for a Piece of the Door: A History of Garage and Frat Bands in Memphis from 1960 to 1975." And then the second right. book, that was in 2001. In 2003, the book you're talking about now, the Memphis Garage Rock Yearbook. Um, right. And then, in and that's the thing that, that I like so much about you, Ron, is like you write about things that I loved growing up. Not only music, but wrestling. And so in 2009, you wrote uh, Sputnik, Masked Men and Midgets, The Early Days of Memphis Wrestling. And that was a right. great book, too. And that actually, you did a, a movie of that, didn't you? Or? Yeah, Memphis Heat came, uh, <clears throat> it, uh, 
actually it was uh i i had no idea it was even brewing uh-huh. but uh my publisher and editor sherman wilmont uh he contacted uh a director here chad Schaffer, that's uh had done some some stuff not not a movie but had done some really cool commercials and different ad campaigns and stuff and got him and and involved and uh and they just uh, we just had a meeting and sat down and said, "Well, how can we get this? How can we get get film footage?" And and, and it just went from there. But it mm-hmm. it came it, it it came from the book, and uh, and it, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. They did a great job on it, and uh, you know it played around for a while and still uh, still selling. So. Uh, a lot of people grew up watching wrestling on television, and, and that's just a, a part of their youth, you know, and that's the things that you always enjoy or the things that you enjoyed growing up. I went and saw the movie, and it was a great movie. I loved the interviews of the guys that I watched when I was a kid, uh, and then they, they interviewed them as even past senior citizens, some of them. Oh, yeah. But it was, yeah, yeah. That, that was a, it was a great movie. So how did the movie do nationwide? Well, you know... It wasn't. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It, it nothing. I guess nothing is. I mean, it, it's a documentary from one thing, and that right. uh, that kind of uh, curbs the uh, the the showings places unless you can get it in a film festival. Well, we got it in a few film festivals, but we were late getting it out to be able to get it into uh, South by Southwest, and uh-huh. and that hurt because if we had. And then we didn't want to wait till the next year to get it in South by Southwest. We just wanted to get it out commercially. So, and it did real well here in town. But I, you know, it showed at the it showed at the Paradiso for a week and and did good and and around town. But and I thought, well, it'll it keep showing. It's show for a month or so. It'll show for you know mm-hmm. as long as it. But it didn't work like that. They've got contracts with, uh, you know, I didn't know the Val. I didn't realize Malco have contracts, and they got a, a new film coming in, and it's going to start Tuesday. Well, it don't matter if your film is packing the house; you're out, right? Yeah, because, that's right. That's right. Because they've got to have this these, these screens available for all their new stuff. So that that was that was a shock to me. I, I just thought, okay, well, it's doing good, so it'll keep showing. And then other yeah. cities will see it, and they'll want it, and it'll spread like that. But no, that's not how it went at all. A year later, uh, during their summer, the summer film um, series they have at the Orpheum, they brought the film back on a Friday night, uh-huh. and we had... Uh, to, to, to sit in that theater, to sit in what I could consider the Falco, and watch that film, it was just uh, really unbelievable for me because the place was like, gosh, there was six, seven hundred people there. And then uh, mm-hmm. they had, they brought back uh, Lance Russell and Dave Brown was there, and uh, uh, the, of course Lawler was there, and um, Jimmy Hart, and uh, Three or four others were there signing autographs and everything. You know, it's still being sold, you know, through the website. You know, people can still get the film. And uh-huh. Sherman is still working, trying to sell it to WWE or somebody that, you know, because they're starting their own network and everything. And uh, they're going to need programming somewhere. Uh, 
so they we thought they may be interested in in uh, picking it up, you know, or leasing it for a couple of years or you know whatever. But uh, uh-huh. so it's not it's not over, but it's just um, kind of hanging there right now. So uh, we'll uh, we'll see what happens with that. Okay, now let's go back to what you were talking about the the Memphis uh, Garage Rock yearbook. You're talking about Vicky Harris. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, uh, you know, the whole connection for all the books has actually been finding stuff originally through the uh, for the first book. I kept getting connected and finding this picture and this picture and this picture, going through the old precimeter files, uh-huh. the the defunct uh, Memphis newspaper, and uh, that's at the University of Memphis Library. I mean, you can just go over there and look through the card catalog. You see you might pull out a file of uh, Tommy Burke and accounts, but when you go through it, you might see a treacherous Phillips picture. Mm-hmm. Or you might see, and you know, or you might see pictures of other groups that didn't record. So I said, geez, all this stuff. And it was a picture of the Strafers in there. There was a picture of, uh, of, uh, of Vicky because she had, uh, was going on, I think, Ted Mag. Uh-huh. And, uh, as a soloist, you know, uh, playing drums. And uh, uh-huh. and I would see pictures of, of Mountain on stage at the auditorium. And uh, I just filed that. In a, you know, I might have made a, just a, went over and, and made a scan of it just so I could remember it was there. So all this stuff just kind of snowballed. I did the first book and then saw all these pictures, did the second book, Kept finding, you know, wrestling pictures during all this time. And the third, and then knowing, after you've gone through those files for 15 years, mm-hmm. you've just about seen them all. So, but I know that there's still, I'm still searching because I know there's still pictures in that stuff that I could use. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, uh, but that's the way it was. And, I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, people, Willie Bearden and everybody has used those files, finding uh, stuff for anything from stacks history to sun history. The bad thing is, when the paper closed, a lot of the photographers were allowed to take their files. So there's Uh no Beatles, there's no Hendrix, there's no uh, no Led Zeppelin, there's there's a whole lot of stuff that there's nothing of. And... uh, you know, that's a shame because I imagine a lot of those photographers have passed away and uh, they haven't surfaced, so I don't know what the, the families uh, ended up doing with this stuff, but it's it's not around, and uh, it's it's a shame. Yeah, it's probably in an attic somewhere. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And they end up sitting on, on, on the curb yeah. Um, yeah. eventually. Uh, or a yard so sale. That, yeah. Yeah. But that's the way it is. I'm really looking forward to your to your next project, and you got another project coming up soon, right? Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, more than I ever thought it would be. I mean, it's it's very tedious and a, and a lot of work, and uh, there's fun involved. Uh huh. There's fun involved. It's it's like someone going out. In a field with a metal detector for hours and hours, finding mm-hmm. a nickel here, a dime there. But then you find something that's uh, 
an old Civil War pistol or something, yeah. and, and you go, no. And that's the way it is with this. Yeah. Uh, you stumble on to more than you uh, you actual, actually search for. Well, a friend of ours, uh, Andy Black. Yeah. Andy, yeah. Uh, Andy just messaged me one day and said, I've got some, some Led Zeppelin pictures. He said, they're okay if you want to look at them. Well, I went and looked at them, and they were a lot more than okay. <laughs> uh, number one, they were, it was the only thing I had. And number two, they were a lot better quality than, than, um, than Andy uh, gave, gave them credit for. Uh-huh. And uh, so I got seven or eight pictures of, uh, of Led Zeppelin that are going to be in this book because of, of Andy seeing a post that I made, right. you know. Right now, now in this uh, this new project is going to be about concerts in Memphis. Right, right, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I've listed every every concert. Uh, actually, uh, I say from nineteen fifty five to eighty five. Uh huh. But, but for the Elvis fans, I actually have started just for Elvis. His shows in fifty four, from his first show all through. 20 or so shows he did in Memphis in 1954. Uh-huh. For everybody else, it starts in 55. Oh, okay. And that's, and, you know, and that's, uh, that's like Jimmy Reed playing at the Cadillac Club or, or, uh, or Bo Diddley playing out at Clearpool or any of these little clubs that used to be in town. Um, a lot of the uh, Club Paradise shows, the Beale Street shows, uh, I've, I've tried to track down anything I could. Uh, the bad thing is a lot of newspaper <laughs> didn't advertise small shows like that mm-hmm. back in the 50s. And surprisingly, uh, the Tri-State Defender rarely listed anything. Uh-huh. Anything to do with, uh, I don't know if it was something they uh they just wanted to separate separate themselves from and be more of a, uh, you know, a, a political newspaper or, a, you know, uh, I don't know. But they, they really didn't focus a whole lot on entertainment. Uh-huh. And if they did, it was more of what was going on in Chicago or New York or, you know, the big, big shows up there. Right. But, uh, but I, I, I've gone on through the, all the shell shows, all the... Uh, Shows at Lafayette, the Ritz, uh, the Antenna Club. I've got over 1,600 shows in this book. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've tried to, um, uh, if I've found a club owner, I've tried to go through there. Uh, if they have a, a kept a book of, uh, of who they booked in there, that's wow. been helpful. But mostly, it's been going through hours and hours of looking in the early days mainly weekends, to see who, who might have been playing these clubs. And then once um, uh, they started having, um, you know, the Fanfare magazine and the Showtime magazine and the, uh-huh. the paper, that helped to see shows that were coming up. Right. But then you always also, you can't just list everything you see an ad for because I'm sitting here looking at a poster I have on my I've had on my wall for 40 years <laughs> yeah. of Savoy Brown, Blood Rock, and Rory Gallagher at right. the auditorium. Right. And I'm wondering. I've always wondered why I didn't go to that show. 
because I like I love the boy Brandon Roy Gallagher. Mm-hmm. Well, in this research, I found out that three days before that show, it was canceled. Ah. So I've got a I got a poster of a show that never happened. Uh-huh. And I imagine there's other people that swear up and down they went to this show. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and they uh-huh. probably saw Rory Gallagher at one time. They probably saw Savoy Brown. They probably even saw Blood Rock. They played here. Mm-hmm. But they didn't see them all together, and they didn't see them. Um, what August year was 25th that? Of 70, I believe it's 70. Okay. August 25th. Wow. But um, I know, and, and there's there's tons of stuff like that. There's tons of stuff. Uh, uh, not, not long ago, I was talking about a uh, I actually had it written down, a Black Sabbath show. Uh-huh. And the guy said, I saw Black Sabbath, but it didn't happen then because I was still in the service. And I went back, and I had it also listed with a question mark in August. He goes, that's when it happened. They canceled the first one in, like, May or something, moved it back to August, and that's when it happened. And just by luck, here this guy was, didn't get back from the service until June, but knew that a couple of months later he, he saw Black Sabbath. So I was able to delete the first one and, and go with what I had. Mm-hmm. But uh, And believe me, after the first three books, I found that if you have a mistake, there's going to be somebody find it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's people that that's their job in life, to find, <laughs> to find your mistake. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I don't mind that. I don't, uh, if it's a real bad mistake, then sh- shame on me for, yeah. for making it. But there's uh, something like this. I know there's going to be people that say, gosh, I can't believe you didn't put, uh, you know, this group that played maybe at uh, uh, the Ritz one night. Well, the, guy, the Ritz guy, um, Jerry Swift, gave me a bunch of a list of the acts, but he didn't have dates. Uh-huh. And luckily, I've been able to match up. Uh, I found dates for them going through the, uh, uh, you know, different, everything from the River City Review to, uh, you know, the press and the commercial. And and, and opening acts. But see, I'm that, you talk about Memphis music. I've tried to put every Memphis artist in this book that I could. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I met with Randy Haspel, and Randy was telling me how many shows he opened for uh, at Lafayette. He goes, you know, if they ever needed uh, needed an opening act, they knew I could come down and do 30 or 45 minutes. Uh-huh. So, And that's good. You know, I want to know that stuff. Danny Green, another musician here in town, he did the same thing at the Ritz. He, mm-hmm. But... I, I, you know, I, as much as I possibly can, I want to put um, all the, any shows that like Raspberry or The Breaks, they open for Hole and Oats here. Mm-hmm. Actually, Bobby Lawson did open for The Who and The Rascals, but he was in a band called Prelude then. Right. So I was able, I was able to put him in there, and I know he he liked being in there, in there uh, without his other Lawson and four more uh, bandmates. Um, mm-hmm. 
So, um, you know, that, that's that's another thing, just trying to get as many of these guys in there. I don't want anybody slighted at all. Did you, you say so, they, were, they, they were called Quaalude? Is that what you said? <laughs> okay. Okay. Quaalude, not Quaalude. <laughs> I imagine there was a band out, uh, probably several bands like that. Uh, yeah. um, I sound like a West Side band to me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, it's going to be, it'll be fun. You know, it'll be, it'll be something that, that, uh, anybody in town that, uh, you know, they grew up going, going to the shell, going to the stadium shows. They can go through there and shoot if they want to. They can sit there and, and check off in the book all the shows they went to or who they went with. And, uh, you know, I told somebody the other day, I said, you know, once somebody gets this book, it's not my book anymore. Uh, it'll be their book because it'll be their memories when they when they look at, at the Rolling Stones seventy five at the stadium. They will remember mm-hmm. going with Sally or going with with a bunch of buddies that that they grew up with and sweating like mm-hmm. a dog out there and they and they'll their stories will come out of that. Their stories will come out of each show they see. You know, coming out and having a flat tire, or coming out from this, right? And I said, oh. so uh-huh. all uh, it'll, it'll be mine anymore. It'll, it'll be theirs, and when they show it to their friends, you know, they'll all be able to sit around and laugh and talk about this show or this show or this show, and uh, mm-hmm. how great this guy was, or this guy was drunk, and it was one of the worst shows they ever saw. You know, yeah, because not all of them were good. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I remember seeing uh, there was a there was a group from England uh, named Mark Allman oh, yeah. that opened for Elton John. And I saw him on the first Elton John tour, and then they opened for uh, Joe Cocker on his Throw Up tour. Yeah, uh, you know, he was. Oh, got, I know. He he uh, he got he got sick. I I think on in every show of the tour, but but Mark Allman just blew me away at the at the Elton John show, and they were. Uh, a big reason why I went to see Joe Cocker was to see them again. They were really good. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They were, they were, they were, they were really, you know, had some had some good albums. Yeah. Now, how did you? Uh, now, are you a musician at all? No, no. I mean, I, I took guitar lessons for about a year, and you wouldn't know it. Yeah. You, 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 <laughs> you wouldn't know it. Yeah, I did it about I did yeah. about a year ago, and I just didn't have time. You know, I had time to go through the lessons, yeah. but I had no time to practice, and uh, right. I was wasting both of our time. But I still pick it up every every now and then, just play around. But no, yeah, no. Yeah. Well, how did you get to know all of these, uh, like uh, Randy and and uh, Vicky? Well, you went to school, with Vicky, but. Um, how, how did you get to know all these uh, musicians around town? Well, you know, a lot of them I knew through school, and then uh, mm-hmm. you know, after after I got out of after I graduated, um, I don't know. Did you ever know Joe Lowry? Oh yeah, right, Joe went to Tresman. Well, Joe and I were good friends, and and we hung out with. Uh, uh, I shared a house with John Stetts, and uh, John Stan <laughs> practiced there all the time. And uh, uh-huh. Snake, and, uh, oh, and with okay. Kenny Pruitt and, and Kenny Allen, and uh, right. and so 
I would go to their gigs, and uh, of course, I, I would meet, you know, uh, Changing Times and some of the other other bands. So I knew a lot of groups who just hanging out with them guys. And um, Joe and I would rent Clearpool, and we would get Alamo and Edgewood to come play, or we would get Omaha right. to play, or, or yeah, groups like yeah. that. So we booked all those groups. Out at Clearpool, uh-huh. we did the first thing they ever did at Grand Central Station when they built that thing in the back that they were going to uh-huh. start having shows back there, and it was all this carpet, but they had no air conditioning, and and it was terrible. Oh, we did. We, I think there was one thing uh-huh. we did one with Alamo and uh, and uh, Snake Don's uh, band, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so that's how I got to meet a lot of. That's how I met Larry Raspberry, and uh, so when I and, right. and, and I worked with I worked at Record Sales out in uh, out in Whitehaven for five years, and so a lot of guys Van Duren and all those guys worked there. Mike Gardner played with the Gentries and played with a bunch of bands. So just doing stuff like that, I, I met a whole lot of people. So when I started the first book. I would just, uh, and I played softball with Greg Redding. And so I would call Greg, and she, Greg knows everybody on the planet. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He and does. he just kept giving me this guy and this guy. And, uh, and then, you know, after two books, I, I basically, I knew a whole lot of people by then. So it's, uh, Mm-hmm. So it's, it's been fun. All right. Well, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate your time. Oh, sure, man. No problem. Make sure you're with us next time for Memphis Music Interview. Memphis Music History Told from the Inside. I'm Mitch McCracken, and I hope to see you then. Memphis Music Interview is a Get Cracken production.